0: A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week we have read through chapter 59. So we read chapters 50 through 59 this week. And folks, it gets fucking heavy.
1: Hey there this is cross and i'm pj and we are words and whiskey a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking think of us as your
0: drunk weekly book club now crossland do you want to know what i think of your selection for this weekly book club
1: yeah go ahead i i'd love to hear what you do
0: Oh. Uh, oh. Yeah, uh this week is pretty <laughs> tough. There's I get I get kind of heated about a lot of the things that you like have written down in the in the notes. I kind of went off a little bit in like writing my notes. So, I'm excited to get into it, but yeah, there's some there's some discussions to be had. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's some, there's some definitely cleared feelings that are going to be talked about. So, in case you haven't caught on, today is our eighth episode covering Morning Star by Pierce Brown, and we're here to discuss the first half of Part 4, Stars, covering chapters 50 through 59.
0: Before mm-hmm. we get
1: into that hellhole, let's talk about what we're drinking. PJ, what are you yeah. having?
0: I have to giggle about it a little bit, because <laughs> otherwise I can't keep a straight face while I say it. So... There is a podcast that I listen to called Matt and Mattingly's Ice Cream Social, and they came up with a cocktail in one of the recent episodes called a Dr. Manhattan. It is Manhattan with hypnotic instead of sweet vermouth. (laughs) (laughs) And they were trying to grapple with how to get the color right with the whiskey. So uh, it's with moonshine instead, which is
1: just a completely new cocktail.
0: Yeah, it's it's. As they stated it, it's fucking terrible. So (laughs) it's horrible. So I had to edit it a little bit and refine it a little bit. And it it is not a Manhattan anymore, but the name's cool and it's got a cool blue color like Dr. Manhattan. So it's a one and a half ounces of moonshine, one and a half ounces of hypnotic, four dashes of orange bitters. And then I found that to be not quite sweet enough to cover up all the fucking moonshine. So I put a couple, couple little drops of simple syrup in there hmm. to kind of sweeten it up a little bit, and then in the picture that I'll post, there's a there's a big ice cube in my glass, and that's mostly just for preservation. Self preservation. Warm cocktail. <laughs> well, I mean, because we make the cocktails and then we go over our notes, we should change that. We really should. Like we've talked about this quite a bit.
1: I generally leave mine in the fridge because I take like a lot of time now to take like the photo and do a lot of setup.
0: So yeah. I generally take the photo and then put it back in the fridge and then get it out. I still think if we just had like a five minute break between when we go over the notes and when we start recording, we could have like a really good cocktail when we actually start recording. Not that it's bad most of the time, but probably true. Fair. And then then we're not tempted to drink it beforehand. That's that's true for you, because I drink water before we start the show. Well, you talk more during the notes. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you uh you know (laughs) agree well this is just how it works like you wrote the notes so so you're describing them true what are what are you following up with uh i've got a triple ipa from black stack called triple stacks nice i think it was supposed to be their third anniversary beer but um covid yeah so it was supposed to be yeah but covid so their fourth anniversary was march 13th (laughs) That's pretty funny. So I think this came out like right before that. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds like a good. Anyway, that's what I've got. What about you?
1: I am having a bourbon Ricky, which is really simple. It treads the line between like a bourbon sour and otherwise like a number of those drinks. I I was basically looking for something that was an interesting spin on something that I would tried, but not quite the same. So bourbon Ricky is two ounces of bourbon of your choice a half a lime in a highball, and then you just top the highball with sparkling water. So like half a lime as in half the juice of one lime? So you juice the lime, juice the half lime, and then you actually just stick the lime
0: in the highball. Do you muddle it at all or is it just kind of in there? No,
1: it's just kind of in there. So it just kind of like infuses a little bit of the stuff, but you don't really like try to break it up or chunk it out at all.
0: All right. So it's like a not, it's like a, like a not sweet whiskey sour
1: yes yeah there's absolutely no sweetener here um and uh it's just really good it it actually like just brings out the flavor of the bourbon more or less and that sounds really refreshing it is that is definitely the win honestly you could like put mint or basil in this just to like make it something else and it would be solid it doesn't need any sweetening or anything like that you could totally make it herbaceous fairly easily if you want to modify it and uh
0: make it more interesting i feel like you could you could twist it up with some different flavored lacroix too
1: yeah so i i actually kind of doubled down i had a lime bubbly open and so i just used that gotcha um, so it's it's extra from lime but yeah depending you know depending on how much lime you actually have how much lime juice and whatnot technically it's supposed to be even amount which uh, out of the size of lime i had it was about two ounces of lime juice so
0: okay perfect big old wait that's a fucking huge lime if that's half
1: of one lime yeah dude. what (laughs) what it looks more it looked more like an orange i actually took a photo uh um because it
0: was it was big (laughs) like i feel like it's usually one and a half ounces per lime
1: yes this was closer to like a small orange
0: but it was a lime
1: oh my god Right, it's super good though. <laughs> super good flavor. Did not he fit the eyeball. He found easily. a
0: new fruit and decided, "Oh, this is green. It must be a lime." When in reality, he's got like mutant fruit. <laughs> it was a kiwi hybrid with a lime. That's mm. why it was a little fuzzy. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Just
1: kidding. Uh, I'm following oh, no. that up with Evergreen Brewings uh pet insurance. It's a combination between them and Non Sequitur Beer Company, and it is oh, I like fucking that. Name. Delicious! It's a double IPA, and it is super good. But Pet Insurance is the beer from Evergreen
0: and Non Sequitur. I like all three of those names there, both brewery names and the name of the beer. I applaud. Yeah,
1: it's super good. Very. It sounds all, all around like the beer is really good. The companies are very good. Yeah, I I just need comments. No further. There you go. All right. Well, we have a shit ton of stuff to talk about today. Mostly sad stuff.
0: Oh, uh, 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 I feel like that's every <laughs>
1: fucking week. It's three. been it's in the last three like, weeks.
0: It, it has been dense,
1: man. As we roll downhill towards the end. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> uh. Okay. Fuck, okay, so <clears throat> with that, we're gonna move into last week's predictions, and before we go anywhere with that, we have the Deadpool, which we only have one character that was on the Deadpool today showing up, which means that for the record, next week's episode is going to have a fuck ton of payoffs, so i don't I don't know, I didn't think about that i don't I don't know we might not have you drinks wrote this. <laughs> yeah. We might have to just sprinkle the Deadpool throughout and take the shots whenever you know that might make the end oh of the I, I heavy. figured
0: that's how we would do it yeah, yeah. maybe I don't know yeah, but- we'll figure that
1: out so Deadpool for today though is uh is Severo of whom you said would die and I that it would be on a poor decision of Daros. I said which that is as well so fucking on the nose <laughs> so cheers <laughs> yeah. take my little shot
0: there you go here I'll have a little sippy poo with you. But mine's not a shot. Ah.
1: All right. So Deadpool over. Um, Mm -hmm. We move into the predictions you made. And we have quite a few that kind of come to fruition this week. We're getting a lot of questions answered that were kind of in the backlog. So one that's been sticking with us since literally the first episode of this book is who is Ephraim? And
0: you said. I said that it was an orange that Trig and Holiday knew from the Sons of Ares Earth faction. Which is Wrong. (laughs) I would like to argue that it's not mostly wrong. So, okay, fine. He is, he's a gray. Mm-hmm. That Trigon Holiday know from Earth. That Trigon and Hol- from Earth. Who joins the Sons and of part, part of the Sons of Aries. After Trig
1: dies. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> your your timeline's a little off. All right, I'm fucking wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're taking the drink for that one. So. There we go. The, uh, the next <laughs> one is what has Darrow unwittingly what has Darrow wittingly
0: unleashed? And you said... That he gained one hell of an army that he can't control in the slightest. The same enemy with a different army. And I think you're mostly right, so I'm going to take the drink here. I think here. so. Except for the part where uh, Darrow's the enemy. Well, not Darrow, but... Gold. <laughs> just... All of the golds that are also a part of the Suns of Ares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just a brief moment. It's a it's a flicker
1: in the light of the life of the Obsidians. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a brief, brief moment of rebellion. Gets squashed mm-hmm. quickly. Oh, Rip Uncle Narol. Holy shit. Wait a second. Was he in the Deadpool? Oh Why the fuck didn't I put that one there? All right, double checking mm. here. Did we make a prediction on Narol? did we did we talk we about didn't Merrill? holy shit i Ooh, overlooked i my dodged a bullet on that one <laughs> you probably did I, uh i would have said that
0: he um because he was already considered dead oh yeah good point
1: that is why we skipped him yeah, yeah. he was already dead well he was yeah in the eyes of thought dead
0: we were told he was dead
1: yep yep fair okay that's why we didn't
0: predict him Shit. which means i would have guessed that he'd be dead <laughs>
1: <laughs> which
0: i think means i'm right
1: <laughs> yes i guess we'll take that but i'm not taking the shot for that one <laughs>
0: <laughs> damn it. all right so okay prediction where are we going next i was going with it i said tinos which uh did did not happen factually wrong Factually wrong
1: yep drink motherfucker.
0: cheers we have a lot of drinking in this episode
1: to look <laughs> yeah, forward to Cause everyone else drinks a lot. Okay. What is happening with Cassius was one of the questions. And you said
0: Darrow was really going to wish that he hadn't kept Cassius alive. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I feel like I hit that one on the head. Do you feel vindicated? Yeah. But also like I was screaming at Darrow the entire time during <laughs> this read <laughs> that this was a bad fucking idea. Like these, when I talked about having some feelings at the beginning of this, these are those feelings that I was talking about. I, I was so upset that Daryl kept going through with these shitty decisions to trust Cassie. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a bad call, dude. All right. Take my drink. (sighs) Oh, so limey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Where does Antonia go? Is another question. I said
0: to suckle on the teat of Mama Octavia, which uh, there was no suckling. No suckling was had, <laughs> but like kind of, like kind of went back to
1: mom. But I think that there's there's a midpoint there where she gets beaten the shit out of by Victra, and so I think like she does go back to Octavia. She does make it back, yes. But eh, so we're both gonna drink.
0: This spirit's not there. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to
1: split the question. We both drink. Um post cheers, I guess. Yes. So with that, we still have on deck we've got five questions that remain that will be answered in some form next week. Being we'll either address them in some way or what have you. But yeah, there's there's a lot. So with that, we uh we gotta get into the chapters here. Will will this one get answered? The red or gold spermies What <laughs> yeah. do you think, PJ? I think it will get answered. Fifty five pages. You, you think that's <laughs> gonna get answered? Uh, yeah (laughs) 51 pages sorry Um,
0: i think uh i think that'll take up at least 15 (laughs) explaining okay (laughs) anyway (laughs) with with that let's get into the chapters so
1: we've got our breakdown chapter 50 before we get into that i just want to read the beginning of part four here which is a quote from eo so my son my son Remember the chains, when gold ruled with iron reins, we roared and roared and twisted and screamed for ours a veil of better dreams. That's from EO of Lycos. And uh it's a it's a great intro to you know what's mostly a very fucking depressing first half of this part after a crazy victory on last week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um but also she said that right before an egg was snapped. True. Also bad. Also bad. So you know, little little a little b <laughs> filling out <laughs> both columns here we're doing i feel like it's it could be seen as an omen mm-hmm. maybe it should have
1: been and especially now that we're coming up on the end of the original trilogy it's uh it's interesting to ponder that original quest that original dream here it's good to call back to it yeah it's true there's come a long way but uh not not very far intellectually it appears <laughs>
0: Okay. Fucking <laughs> So
1: chapter fifty, oh <laughs> Thunder and Lightning. The the chapter heading is something of a callback, of course, to something that's also talked about in this chapter as well. The institute, the friendship that Cassius and Darrow created and share. You are the thunder, I'm the lightning. You know, I'm my goodman and the, the, the lightning. That whole shtick is here. And we kind of get to reminisce about those those old days. But before we get to that, we get a final conversation with Rom- Romulus, who is pissed. pissed. Fact, hopefully so. <laughs> he's. I mean, why wouldn't he be pissed? He's not having a good time. Uh, the The whole losing of the docks of Ganymede, not getting all the ships that he expected, everything for him has kind of gone awry. And he's kind of sniffing out what Darrow was stinking in terms of the nukes and being false. And so he's extra like, huh. Maybe
0: I sided with the wolves in sheep's clothing. I mean, he did, but at the same time, there were no actual sheep either. Right. Right. Either way, and it was bad. just wolf on wolf on wolf action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he he tells Darrow that he's essentially banished from the Rim Job Dominion, which Fuck. is kind of. <laughs> Kind of all Darrow could really hope for. At best, this started off as a shaky relationship. And uh, the fact that he gets to leave without any hostility is A, lucky, but B, kind of a function of the fact that he's got a bigger space force. Like, what's he going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, he kind of fucked him over. And I, I feel like that'll come back to bite him a little bit. But he's also way the fuck off in the middle of nowhere in space so yeah what's he gonna do right (laughs) what really is romulus (laughs) at rock going to do
1: now um i think it's so interesting that we get introduced to these very different critical characters and then we also so quickly leave them and we say we're never going to come back and it's very much like okay do i do i believe you pierce are you are you gonna leave them there or are they gonna come back as new toys in your toy box hmm something to ponder i think i think they come back Yeah, they're too interesting not to in my head. Mm -hmm. So I think we've talked on we've touched on faith a lot and specifically relating to Darrow. We enter the rest of this chapter before getting to the portion with Cassius with Roke's funeral. So it's the end of of one friendship of the trio formally being cemented by launching him into the sun where he belongs. Um, You know, (laughs) either alive or dead. Either way, launch Roke directly Mm -hmm. into the sun. And uh, it's it's interesting because Darrow talks about faith again. He's kind of reemerging on that subject. He wishes that Roke believed in an after like life, like he used to, and like Ragnar did at the end. And but he he himself, Darrow himself, doesn't believe in it. He wishes that sort of peace, that confirmation of serenity of the afterlife for Roke, but he doesn't believe that it's real. It's just kind of like he he wishes that Roke was numb to the pain before he went.
0: Yeah, I, I think you hit a, hit the nail on the head there. It's less about wanting Roke's spirit to be saved or anything like that, and more about thinking back on on this man and wanting his last moments to be looking forward to something rather than just kind of staring into the void. Yeah, i i I, I think I think it's more just perception than anything else.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And I think that this gets back to something that we've talked about a lot, which is that Darrow's become numb over the course of this book to a lot of different things. But Roke kind of drugs some feelings out of him again in a different way where it's it confirms that he doesn't believe in the afterlife or in the veil, things of that nature. But he does kind of warm up to the idea of having feelings and he has feelings and he has deep emotional he feels deep emotional loss for someone who literally wanted him dead, which is, I think, fascinating and, and different than kind of the Darrow that we knew before. You know, you could almost to some degree, you could compare Roke and Carnus as antagonists of the, the two books, right? Of Golden Sun versus this book. And yeah, they effectively occupy the same place as an antagonist. It's just that one has a lot more backstory, but he was still going to stab him in the back and kill him just the same that Carnas was. Perhaps not literally put the blade to his neck, but Roke definitely was going to give him to Octavia, who was going to put the blade to his neck, which Cassius does. So literally dissecting him. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting parallel. And it's weird that he hurts so much for this and not every other individual life,
0: you know. But I think this plays into one of the problems that I have with Darrow that I think I'll get into later. When we talk about Cassius. Oh, you mean like in two questions?
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about the poetry that was used here at Roke's funeral as he's sent off to his grave in the sun, which is also a great image, a grave on the sun. Pretty cool. Darrow recites a very specific Shakespearean poem here from Siebeling, which is considered one of the problem plays or forgotten plays it exists in a spectrum of like not great, shakespeare also we're not sure if we can properly attribute it to shakespeare there there are some of those issues that exist but it's generally considered shakespearean so the the poem as it reads is fear no more the heat of oh, the sun nor the furious winters rages though thou thy worldly task has done home art gone and tain thy wages golden lads and girls all must as chimney sweepers come to dust which is very much of course, the last couple of lines are harkening back to the ashes to ashes dust to dust mentality, but also the fact that chimney sweepers also come to dust chimneys, right? And so they're specifically seeking out that dust is their job. Well they're they're seeking out dust, which when you're talking about something like that is saying that it was inevitable as a warrior that Roke was going to die because he was seeking death being a warrior. Okay, so like that's that's sort of the, the analogy there. But the more important thing, I think, to hearken back here is to the connection with uh, Siebeline to some degree. Siebeline is known to have a main character named Imogen, Imogen, Imogen Heap, similar, of whom apparently dies in front of you, but was merely drugged, which I find very interesting with Darrow, because Darrow, at the beginning, appeared to have died, but was actually drugged and so survived and that is exactly the same plot thread in that fourth act that happens in Siebeling.
0: Yeah. First of all, I think Pierce Brown is an even bigger history, poetry nerd than you are.
1: But Maybe. Maybe. I don't maybe,
0: know. Maybe. But you've been picking up on all of them. So I don't know the behind the scenes of how much Googling you're doing, but I like to believe you just know this. Shit.
1: I mean, I know I know a decent amount. I didn't know all of this one. I'm going to be honest. Okay. But this this is one that I was at the very least aware of. And when I read it the first time, I think I searched it and I read the whole play. And then yo, on this reread now, we're uh, we're going through it. I'm, I'm picking it apart because
0: I know the play. Now <laughs> Fair enough. So, so you mentioned this kind of following the parallel of Darrow, but maybe it's grasping at Straws a little bit, but this also kind of follows a thread that happened to Roke in that he was poisoned and not like left unconscious, but didn't actually die. At the gala. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the
1: gala. That's interesting. I think that actually also kind of feeds back into that final line that as it, as chimney sweepers come to dust, where There's sort of this inevitability of him returning, and so saving him and drugging him might be a way out of it. It's worth noting that the main character, Imogen's brothers, are there at this funeral for these two warriors of whom are dead, and they are singing this song over top of her grave. The story has a kind of Mulan-esque tone where she isn't supposed to be a warrior. She's not supposed to be there. They don't realize that it's her And so there's there's kind of this hidden identity thing as well, which seems to also overlap with kind of Darrow. And also, if we wrap it back to what you're saying, Roke's or Darrow's impression of Roke or Roke's impression of Darrow. Either way, there's there's a secret being kind of hidden among that relationship. I think it fits.
0: By the way, that said, for a futuristic society, they sure do like to poison people. True. There's a
1: there's a decent amount. There's a lot of it.
0: There's a lot of fucking poison. A couple of those. Yeah. I would I would think there'd be better ways to kill people several
1: hundred years from now. I mean, there are. They're called star shells and you just land on them and
0: they go splat. The people go splat. Or you put them in a star shell and fire them at the sun.
1: Yes, but like on a very gradual curve so they just rotate around it for a bit.
0: Or put them in a star shell and hit them with a fucking EMP because apparently that works too. <laughs> it's a nasty situation to be in. <laughs> That's dumb. That's the dumb thing to <laughs> not have a failsafe on. <laughs> anyway, uh, the section <laughs> I think I already ranted about that. one. <laughs> True, fair.
1: The section with Roke's funeral ends with a quick semi-easter egg. I I guess I I kind of feel like I'm only mentioning this because I'm going to be accused of not mentioning it if I don't. Because people are so aware of it. But the con- there's a conversation, spoilers for Goodwill Hunting. There's a conversation near the end of Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams' character repeats, It's not your fault, and he repeats it four times to a breaking down Matt Damon while he's breaking down in his arms. And I don't know if this is so much an Easter egg as Much as it is just like a real human moment here that's shared between characters, it's logical. I can imagine this in a number of different circumstances, and I've also seen people who have lost people close to them behave this way and kind of have those. You know, you have people reassuring them, and there's it's it's also kind of like a release valve for their grief to say like it's not your fault, and then they can kind of like just let more go in gushing waves. So I'm I'm a mixed bag on whether or not. it's an Easter egg, but I have to bring yeah. it up because otherwise if you bring it up, then I'm going to have to drink VR rules.
0: <laughs> so I if that's an Easter egg or if it's supposed to be one, that's pretty fucking weak. <laughs> I I think I agree with you. It's more of just kind of a real moment. There's a, it's a simple enough phrase. It's I could see it maybe like Pierce Brown got done with writing the section before this and he's sitting down for movie night and throws on goodwill hunting and then comes back like a week later and starts writing the next section and just has that, that phrase in his mind. Maybe like if it's related, that's how I think it would be related. It just kind of distant zeitgeist kind of deal. Yeah. So, so I'm not drinking for that Easter. Damn it. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck.
1: (laughs) You know, I had to try. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. So, but no, cassius and darrow get some time to reflect together and share a drink among friends they're sitting there in roke's chambers of which darrow has claimed which is kind of the sort of dour thing in the first place he like leaves his books in place and everything else and doesn't rearrange or replace anything which i understand on an emotional level of not wanting to like lose that as though he's still alive it's kind of what darrow points out but also like what no dude uh, like Change it as you need like get maybe get rid of it. Stop living in your grief <laughs> better better for your health. But he invites Cassius up and they go through all of the various hollow vids that were saved that Roke had saved of the Institute and we get a lot of different moments that are sh- are shared here between them including some that we didn't see because we were locked in Darrow's point of view like some answers to some questions in the first book you had about what happened with roke and whether or not it was secretly all a betrayal and a plot with leah and things of that nature sort of the like honest mm-hmm. betrayal but also cassius is here just drinking some scotch hanging out having a good time talking with a bro uh
0: drink because they're drinking yeah. but yep i suppose some thoughts
1: so. oh i got some thoughts on this five page sequence
0: oh god so this entire time i was just thinking about how of an idea that was for Darrow to invite Cassius there. And here's kind of the point where it was kind of culminating in my understanding that Darrow is making decisions more and more emotionally Mm -hmm. in this book, even though he's constantly talking about how the box took everything away from him. Like He's chasing emotional connections is kind of what it feels like. Mm -hmm. In the past, he rarely let the emotions get in his way and... If that's not entirely true, it was that those emotions kind of led him in the right direction anyway. Now the opposite is kind of true in that he's entirely open. He's not hiding anything anymore for the most part. Like, I can't think of a big secret that he's hiding right now, but all he wants is the genuine feelings of friendship that he had. And this kind of makes for a fatal maybe literally mistake of letting sort of the Cassius earworm into his brain. He's, he's slipping up and I think it's entirely emotionally driven. Yeah. And he's trying to like, hold on to those old connections. I can't help but think the, the same
1: thing to, to varying degrees. Right. I, I think that there's also something to be said about a number of the different things that Cassius brings up here, which is, you know, the fact that, they are these different elements of thunder and lightning. They are without war. They're just men with, without kind of the violent impulses. And I find that really interesting, especially given kind of the betrayal that you're obviously talking about. And sort of the, the reflection that Darrow has on these memories is that I think Cassius is saying that if it weren't for war, if it weren't for these violent circumstances, they would be incredible friends and they would just be men. They they wouldn't have the same internal drive. They wouldn't be the same people at all without the circumstances. So I, I think that it's an interesting point. And I'm glad that you also brought up the other component relating to the way that Darrow's kind of his emotionality throughout the books and how that's changed here. I don't know.
0: I just I don't think that they would be friends without the war. I think that that friendship was severed before war happened. And even even now, like even if Julian's death was forgiven, now that's a long fucking time to be in a blood feud with somebody.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let me let me clarify a little bit. So my picture is the initial meeting that like Cassius and Darrow have well before they go to the institute, where he invites him out to he invites Darrow out to gia and Darrow doesn't fully know even gold lingo at that point, and so he. Avoids going and hanging out with him, but I think they would have been friends or they could have been. But a combination when I say war, I'm thinking about the entirety of society and the institute and everything else. Because Darrow wouldn't be even in this situation if like the color paradigm didn't exist, you know, it wouldn't be
0: oh, that's it, wouldn't a be a point. problem,
1: right? Um, Darrow yeah. might also not be his friend because in theory he's a red, and you know, even if there were blending of colors, I don't know. Anyway, I still think that it's a worthwhile point, though, that I think that they would have been friends had. Could you unwind the clock to like the 70th page of Red Rising? Yeah, they could have before everything else happened. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that these these pages too contain some wonderful character development between the two. There are just so many warm moments of them reflecting that it also extra sours the betrayal at the end here right at the very end there are just so many moments where they're reflecting and they're talking about like the different moments with quinn where you know cassius and and quinn had their their moment together while roke was still planning after leah before leah died leah gets stolen by wolves from the cairn that darrow built which is terrible yeah and you know like that's didn't build it deep enough yeah it's that's awful parents don't even (laughs) get the body like jesus yeah, bad time, bad time, That institute, bad time. <laughs> yeah, it, there's there's just like a lot of warmth here and you just want to like sit and pal around with him a little bit. I, I wanted to bring up something for those of you who'd listen to our episode with over on High Key Obsessed, where we were guests over there with Tom, Miss. we I don't know why I said it that way. Anyway, we were <laughs> guests with Thomas. Uh, I. <laughs> immediately rejected the notion of the question that I was asked about Severo and Cassius and said Roke instead. And that was partially because I didn't want to hint at anything and like build anything up to PJ so much. But I I do actually pick Cassius's relationship over Rokes or Severo's in in this circumstance, because I do think that there was so much that was built there on that core friendship and that it was a betrayal that I think on a long enough timeline with enough experience had they not been pitted against each other, let's say the Academy thing works out and the long plan that Fitchner had works out where Darrow would gradually become the sovereign over a number of, number of years, decades of time. I think that Cassius and Darrow would have eventually became, at the very least, not enemies again and friendly. And I think that's kind of what we experience here. But at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just a taste. Maybe it's just a lick of that. And uh maybe it's all yeah. a lie.
0: So, yeah. Uh I don't think it's a lie. I don't think anything here is a lie. I think um this entire conversation, like this entire scene that we're talking about with with Darrow and Cassius kind of reminiscing over things when they're when they're talking about I don't know Darrow apologizing for the killing of Julian and them just kind of hashing it out a little bit and talking like old friends. I don't think either of them say anything untruthful. No. But even even if that sort of transgression is absolved in the eyes of Cassius, there's still many other things that Cassius is, is personally at odds with against Darrow. Mm-hmm. So I, I think at this point, even without the familial reasons for hating each other or for Cassius hating Darrow, I think the the feud is too too large to resolve over Scotch.
1: Yeah, the, I, I think the feud is society, right? Because I think that to some degree Cassius kind of in this conversation doesn't fully let go of of Julian and what had to be done in those moments, but they do actually talk about it in a real way for the first time right and he's he's kind of like i killed two of your brothers and he's like oh i didn't really care about carness <laughs> and he's kind of like yeah what did he say like you can keep yeah Karnas you can keep carness like right and it's you know i i think that it's also maybe cassius coming to terms with the reality of what he was forced through in the institute what the institute forced on the two of them And that's why he hasn't really been able to come for his blood since, you know, he's made a fool at the gala.
0: But yeah, yeah, it 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 was very unfair Mm -hmm. of Cassius to sort of come after Darrow so harshly for the for the death of Julian. Mm -hmm. Like what was supposed to happen? Yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a very it's a very like teen thing to
1: do, which is also how it's painted. You know? Yeah, that's fair. So I—that's a good point. There, there are only a couple more things here, but I really like the the conversation here that happens near the end, which is, "I'm tired of this war." Darrow. He replies, "So am I. And if I could bring Julian back to you, I would. But this war is for him or men like him, the decent. It's for the quiet and gentle, who know how the world should be, but can't shout louder than the bastards." I think what's really interesting here is that Darrow has spent a lot of time reflecting and it's been quoted a couple of times as headers, various sections. But the the quote that was said by Karnas, Albalona, but we all we have is a shout in the wind. And this is almost yeah. a reflection directly of that quote here. You can't shout louder than the bastards. All we have is a shout in the wind. The bastards like Carnus and like Darrow and like Cassius in these situations are shouting very loudly and they drown out the they're, they're the warlords they drown out a lot of the other voices that could and perhaps should be in power but the voice of the loud the voices of the loud are the ones that are in power
0: i mean ain't that the truth as far as current society goes too yeah right like if if being loud and being the vocal minority wasn't so <laughs> rewarded it'd be interesting to see how social today <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah People are fucking crazy. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's led us to an entire praised so I, so I guess
1: crazed presidency. So there's there's that. Yeah. <laughs> it and you know, it's it it stretches further, of course, within the society. There's this kind of there's the obvious perceived wrongdoing of Darrow on behalf of Julian, but there's also the like underpinnings or undertones while they're talking where Not only is is there forgiveness, but there's understanding from Cassius side as to his as to Darrow's family. Darrow's family is being repressed within the system. And so it's like, yeah, while I had to kill your brother because you fuckers decided that that was the way the rules are. Like my family doesn't even get to be a real family above ground. And like we're we're mole. Mole. Right. Exactly. And like he's kind of they don't say that, obviously, but they talk about Kieran. They talk about marrying Dio. Kieran, Baron, Dio. And it's, man, there's this entire other element of family here that's an entire layered unpack on, mm-hmm. on top of all the other yeah. political stuff. But yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think it's a fantastically written chapter if Cassius weren't such a fuckhead and betraying um, Darrow here.
0: Yeah, I saw it coming. <laughs> You're like, I-, I really did. I was so angry. <laughs> oh, I was so upset reading this chapter and just vindicated by the the end of it <laughs> you, you've been talking about it for a bit
1: i was so upset so chapter 51 <laughs> pandora which is the ship that antonia controls the Julia ship we shift from that night with cassius to a meeting with the newly captured fleet of antonia at victor's hands which is how
0: it, it's just so satisfying for her i i loved the the message sent through <laughs> Bitch captured, Cavex free, victory mine. (laughs) Just simple and tells you everything you need to know.
1: You know, I I think it's also a great callback to some degree to the first book because Victra like self identifies as a bitch, which is funny in a way where she like (laughs) totally nodded and like agreed in the first book. And by the way, how evil she's become since those moments. Was
0: that Victra at that point?
1: No, no, no. That was Antonia. Antonia. Sorry. Did I say Victra? I meant Antonia. You did say Victor. Antonia self-identified as a bitch. My bad. Yeah. In the first book, because Victor was not introduced until the second. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's a great moment between them and man, what a good thing for, for Victor basically to have like open rebellion happen on her mom's vessels because they're like, yeah, fuck her. We don't like her. We like you. You're technically the inheritor by the will. So we agree. Easy. Exactly. But, Before we get to, you know, talking about more here in terms of what's going on in the ships, we get Sophocles. Oh, cute fox. Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice. Except for that mouth kiss, that open mouth kiss. What the fuck was that? Uh, mm -mm.
0: Uh, Yeah. So I've been trying to figure that out. And I think I've got an idea. I think calling it an open mouth kiss was more for shock value i think it's victor
1: recoils even
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay good point all right i don't have a whole much of a leg to stand on then never mind i was gonna say it's kind of like how when some larger slobbery dogs come running towards their their masters just kind of lick lick their face you know it actually does feel similar
1: she doesn't recoil she cringes but it's you know yeah just kind of him with his mouth agape getting licked by the fox that's kind of what i am yes i I agree that's also what i imagined but you know open mouth kiss describing it like an open mouth kiss (laughs) is kind of funny yeah i mean if if we're considering like dog kisses like licks okay fine sure Mm -hmm. yeah so we move on from well what else would it be it's a fox well i mean i don't know uh, you, yeah, I, do you kiss the whole snout? Do you, like, swallow it? Like, how does that work? Cavex <laughs> probably could. I know. That's <laughs> an open-mouth kiss, man. That's why I'm confused. Form CPR on the on the, <laughs> fox. Fox. On the fox. On Sophocles. You know, it's it, it's mm-hmm. a moment. So, no. we, we cut to our two <laughs> prisoners, Thistle and Antonia, and whoever gives information to Darrow first gets to live, except, like, of course, Antonia is not going to get to live if Victra says anything about that.
0: Like, there's no way Victor's going to let
1: Antonia live.
0: I mean, I could see Victra letting Antonia live in some sort of loophole ish way where she puts her in an es- escape pod without steering or food or water and fires her towards the sun. <laughs> <laughs> It'd take a bit. That'd be good reflection <laughs> for her. Yeah. I mean, hopefully there's a viewport, like, right facing the sun, just staring, staring at impending doom. What do you think would happen first? Starvation, thirst, or uh, getting
1: cooked? Man, straight to the sun is interesting, because a lot of the travel that's timed out here is, by the way, actually timed out, which is really interesting. Um, scientifically timed between the planets, like, very well done based on the speeds of the engines. But... Mm-hmm. the travel distance straight to the sun like that's you could just fire in a straight line effectively you just have to compensate for the gravitational yeah. forces of the planets as you pass Oh, i'm them.
0: saying i'm saying well what i was from here I'm, I'm curious i'm curious if it's gonna be long enough where she'd die of hunger or starvation i think she before. would
1: die of hunger before she would die of the the sun and that's what i don't know Right, because it took like 49 days for them to get from the moon to Luna. But I don't know if that's based on the rotation and where they were at at the time. So that's the part that I'm trying to quantify. Yeah,
0: but you don't have to get to the sun. We're getting into the weeds with this and I have no reason why. But (laughs) you don't have to get to the sun before you die of sun exposure. True,
1: true. Yeah, good point. Good point.
0: You're shot directly (laughs) at the sun and you're just
1: in the sun all the time. Fair point. Yeah. I was not thinking about that i was thinking about literally being consumed by the sun like yeah. touch the surface but you wouldn't touch it because you wouldn't make it that far like, right your pod wouldn't anyway cool yeah mm-hmm. wild uh bad time
0: <laughs> bad time sorry that got a little bit more uh in depth than i was expecting yeah, it's worth it it's worth it chapter 52 teeth Heath is such a good name for this. Man, it's such a good
1: name. This (laughs) chapter, I think, is like a bit of magic, to be honest. It's it's fascinating because Pierce Brown in this first trilogy has trapped us within this one point of view. And we're only given Darrow's perspective on everything. But we'd still get we're still through the system of watching the prison video, given basically two different POVs or like this weird omniscient POV. On the situation, which is unique and it's a great way of handling it and like giving us a way to see what happens without Darrow in the room for the first time in the entire series,
0: you know? Yeah, it's it's honestly done seamlessly enough that I hadn't taken that into consideration, but it's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm happy with it. I think the trick of this chapter
1: isn't the just the one that Pierce is pulling with the POV, but it's a careful game that Antonia plays to rile up Thistle enough to get close, to pull her hair through the bars, and to literally cave her skull in. And it's a fucking gruesome moment here, with her skull bending around the bars of her cell. Like, oh. oh.
0: So, this for the longest time was giving me issues as far as trying to imagine what this looked like. The cell. What the cell was. The cell. Like. The cell yeah. itself. Like, how... Because I imagined it, even though it says it like five fucking times, that there's bars in between the individual cells. So they're like looking at each other. But I still imagined it like a typical like prison cell where there's walls between the cells and then bars mm-hmm. kind of in on one wall across the entire line of it. So I was thinking Antonia had to like reach her hand around and like get into the other cell and somehow enough have enough leverage to beat thistle's fucking skull in but no i'm just a dumb idiot who can't read apparently which we knew which welcome to the show
1: yeah that's that's what we're trying to fix here kind of yeah
0: but it kind of goes to show that no matter how many times you describe in your book what something looks like someone's gonna miss it and that someone's me hmm Uh, yep. y- just to just to
1: clarify, I think that I actually, out of any moment in the series, this was the one that ended up being the most confusing for me on first read through, and in subsequent read throughs, it's something that I've just kind of breezed over without thinking about it. But I I agree with you. I think that it's so tucked in to the dialogue. It's it's he's he is very clearly trying to point it out by burying explanation of what's going on by actively showing the room through characters, actions and perspectives, but it just wasn't perfectly clear. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Well, It
0: was perfectly clear. I just missed it.
1: (laughs) Well, what, what I'm saying is it wasn't perfectly clear because we missed it because we glance over this and we can't fully picture the room. Okay. Which, which I definitely agree with you on. I think that when I started to like absolutely pick it apart at the slow level, it's like, Oh yeah, clearly. Okay. There's bars between the jail cells. Also, what prison has bars between the jail cells? Because you get this shit. Like this would happen. Uh, you like know? holding cells in drunk tanks. Yeah, I guess, and that's maybe the thing is that these are more holding cells for prisoners of war. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, you're not going to see people try to strangle each other through a holding cell. Well, Normal. apparently you are. Yeah, we we literally see uh, Thistle's skull rip. Mm-hmm. Um, also, not on the Deadpool for some reason. <laughs> Okay. Well, she's a howler. Yeah. I mean, she was not a howler at the end of Golden Sun. So
0: Yeah. Good point. Yeah.
1: <clears throat>
0: Want me to guess? No. Cause I'm not taking a fucking <laughs> shot for that.
1: So <laughs> Antonia trying to sell her sister coming in. Obviously, Darrow and everyone else is rushing down. They're trying to get there to actually free thistle before this happens, before this gruesome mess happens. But it doesn't. Victor is the first one there. And Antonia trying to sell her sister on needing her is hilarious to me and absolutely does not land with Victor herself. Victor literally breaks her face. And I love yeah. that description of just it's so it's it's pure. It's wonderful. It's brilliant. Breaks her face. Breaks her face. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yes. It's unfortunate for Antonia to be turned into a mush face.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, she was very mm mm-hmm. I don't know. Proud of her beauty, she was aware of it certainly, and used it as a weapon oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, now she's a mushy mushy face. So you know, jokes on her, I guess. <sighs> yeah, she um, she deserved it. I think, I think it said the orbital bone was pulverized. Uh huh. Later on. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh huh.
1: Yeah. Antonia actually, like when I said mush face, like she really doesn't have. Oh, yeah. Face. Yeah, it is a literal mush face, which it's it's shocking to me that she can actually as a note. It's shocking to me that she can actually even get through the next couple chapters without a heavy sedative, without some kind of pain relief, because do we know for sure that she doesn't? I mean, if I were Darrow, I wouldn't give well, Darrow's been making all kinds of nonsensical decisions. Yeah, so Darrow's maybe.
0: been fucking nightmare <laughs> okay. terrorist. Like he's been a bad terrorist. <laughs> he's been a really bad terrorist. True. The line
1: <laughs> the line that I find the most we're talking about here though is this one that we've noted a couple of times throughout the read, you know, just her head is caved in. I stare at it. Wondering why I'm not horrified at the scene. Some part of me has died, but when did it die? When did I notice? And in this Why is, did I not notice? Why did I not notice? Yep. Do you think yep. you can pinpoint the time when Darrow's spirit broke? Like what what moment do you really think it happened?
0: Um, I think the answer that is kind of obvious here and the answer that Probably people would be expected to come to, or like the, yeah, that readers would be expected to come to in this moment would be the box, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I don't think he's completely broken. I think he's a little bit fragmented. He still holds on to emotion, like I said with Cassius, but he still feels strongly for his friends and even those who used to be close friends and Thistle was never either of those. Yeah, I mean, she was never really close to him. He she was an original howler. Yeah, but she was closer to the howlers than like she was just kind of part of the howlers. He never really interacted with her as far as I saw. Yeah. Fair. Individually at least. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough because he was fairly certain in the last book that Thistle was the one that wouldn't follow him out of the howlers and there were there were a handful that he was commenting on that he was like pretty sure once they find out they won't follow me thistle was one of them thistles uh call out to darrow as well here i think is interesting because she effectively she doesn't apologize purely but she kind of comes around in a way that i don't think tactus or roke really did in their last moments before they died she sort of said that i know that darrow won't do these kind of cruel things i know that he'll be better than the jackal is and she kind of has a i think a more complete 180 than i think tactus does but she's not as well known of a character to us because we don't get that much time with her i i feel like she's actually critically underplayed inside of the story
0: you're you're saying thistle is underplayed
1: yeah, yeah, I I feel like if we would have gotten to know Thistle better, but we didn't obviously because of the circumstances of events, I think that her betrayal and then come
0: around would be so better.
1: I, I think tactics.
0: Maybe I guess it depends. It depends on if she has more time in what she actually says. Yeah. Because Darrow makes a good point that she never mentions in her apology or in her pleading in that she she was planning on betraying the howlers too they were supposed to be at that at that uh the gala triumph the
1: triumph yeah sorry
0: so she was going to be assisting in murdering all of them as well Mm -hmm. and she never addresses that which could be just her trying to appeal directly to darrow and it it could be well it's definitely her uh, appealing directly to darrow But it's either she was trying to make she was trying to pick things that directly affected him as a means of getting his attention, being genuine, or she's making up what she feels bad about and didn't take the howlers into consideration when apologizing, Mm -hmm. which would one could argue means that she doesn't actually care about that betrayal. So. It'd be interesting to see what her apology would look like if it wasn't under duress like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think the critical point that you just brought up is under duress, which is, you know, ultimately where it comes from. But sadly, Rip Mm -hmm. Thistle, you probably get shot into the sun, but we don't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Um. Probably. Probably. Most people get shot into the sun. I I think they would
0: have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It is efficient. Ragnar, rogue, porcade nolos, thistle. Unless they just use it as fuel. Any bodies that end up on the ship. They just burn them. Yeah. I mean, you could. What do you do with bodies in space? You'll launch I them. I guess at you the throw sun. them out
1: the airlock. No, launch them at the sun. Launch them at the sun. Mm. Launch them at the sun.
0: I mean, I want that, but that takes some extra fuel. An extra materials it's easier to just kind of chuck them out there i'm sure
1: the blues can do the math in no time and it's barely any materials i'm sure it's fine
0: yeah but it's more than <laughs> pressing a button that opens up into the void of space here we are in the weeds again chapter 53 yeah. <laughs> silence <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect
1: segue <laughs> Ah, (laughs) Darrow's certainly having trouble sleeping lately like he normally does in these moments after either committing, you know, I don't know, genocide, killing a bunch of people, which is in its own form kind of genocide or like murdering friends or watching close people die. No shock. He's having trouble sleeping. It's a a tough life. It's it's tough when you like literally live the life of a crazed warlord.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I mean, at least he's not Ares right now. Right. Sure. (laughs)
1: The quiet moment here with holiday where they're sharing a tin of whiskey, which we have to drink for is a great one. It's really funny that obviously it's presented in a coffee
0: cup. He drinks
1: it and he's like, this is whiskey. And she's like, ah, you're catching on.
0: (laughs) It's just, I just, I I liked how it was described. I take a sip. I take a sip of coffee. This is whiskey. (laughs) What, what exactly is it? 416. Yeah. Let me, cause I I felt like it was written really, really well. I have to say in this,
1: this last like, Hundred pages that we've read. The quips have been whip smart. They've all been so funny, so good. And this is what I what I think of when I think of, oh, of these quips. Go on. I sip the coffee. This is whiskey. Yeah, you catch on quick. She winks at me boyishly. It's great. It's just. It's a it's a it's a great moment. It's a very human moment. And it adds so much to Holiday's character. Love Holiday. Mm-hmm. Great character. Yeah. And and they share stories here as well. Holiday gives us a bit about Earth, which is wonderful. As we talked about, like we don't get a whole lot of Earth in, in the picture, obviously, since the Conquering and the whole World War Three thing. You can almost imagine what she's describing the area that she's been from is Kansas. I get this picture of like totally Superman ish Clark Kent, Kansas just fucking Smallville, the way that she describes everything, raised with uh Trig and whatnot. It's it's great.
0: It's great. Yeah. So I got Iowa, but for the same reasons you got Kansas. So like I'm totally on board with you. Yeah. That said, does that make holiday Superman? Maybe Trig mm-hmm. was Superman. Trig was Superman. Trig right. died. So Aja. <laughs> Aja has like kryptonite in her razor. Then yes, this is the crossover we all wanted. There we go. There we go. This is this is really what this entire series was about. This is this is Clark Kent fan fiction. All right. centering around the is like died Luther. within two chapters. It was
1: Octavia, Octavia's Lex Luthor. Jackal's the Joker. Where else are we going? Um, Severo is Robin. Madden. Oh, Robin. <laughs> No, Darrow's okay. Batman. <laughs> kind of. Maybe Quicksilver's Batman. Quicksilver's Batman. Yeah,
0: Quicksilver has to be Batman. Yeah. Darrow's right. like fucking nightwing. Let's go.
1: <laughs> no, that was worth it. But yeah, no, it's it's great to see kind of the the family with with uh Trig and everything else. And getting kind of the backstory here with Ephraim, Trig's fiance. We find out that he's a gray as well. We're security for museums and the like. And he's kind of a a whiz inside of that space he joined the sons on luna after ephraim was informed of trig's death and i think that that's very interesting it speaks to the more general narrative of what happens with radicalization when people when people close are harmed by an opposing force by something else is obviously people are immediately radicalized against it because they care about the people that are close to them and i think that it also paints a larger picture of probably what's going on in society right now. With so many people being actively a part of the Sons of Ares, there are likely society that's striking out against them to fight the Sons, but there are obvious casualties either within the Sons or side effects that are leading more people to join the Sons and to kind of change and defect. And I think that's really well planted
0: and talked about here by Pierce. I don't know if I'm just reading too far into this. Because we're like analyzing this book so we should have called this
1: podcast reading too far into this is what we should have called. Yeah, it. That.
0: that's fair. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I this gave me like suspicion vibes. Like Ephraim is suddenly because he was a character introduced before, sort of mysterious. Didn't know anything about him. He's left intentionally on the table as a mention and then nothing else. But suddenly he's like important and he's a part of the sons of Ares, and he has connections to trig obviously but holiday as well he's gone dark he like i feel like this is being built up for him to be suddenly like the guy that swoops in and saves the day or like becomes the sort of the superman pin character yeah the the (laughs) superman of some specific plot of
1: some zack snyder justice league perhaps I haven't. I haven't seen. Like I have. That yet. It's fine.
0: Moving on. All right. There we it's, go. It's worth. it. Anyone good. who's
1: listening, it's worth your time. Continue.
0: Okay. That calling it fine doesn't seem.
1: No, no, no. I, I meant your comment. Worth it's fine. It's it's fine to move oh. on. The movie is much better than the other version of the movie.
0: Okay, that's not. It's saying a low anything. bar. <laughs> 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 but like, I I I don't know if I'm just. In a unique situation where I'm analyzing everything in this book a little bit more than it should be, or if it's actually being set up as kind of a savior character or a character that's going to burn bright for a chapter.
1: Yeah, here within the last 50 pages. I, I think that that's an interesting point. I think that you are so afraid of the story having some kind of turn like that, some kind of do Ex you're terrified yeah (laughs) yeah and that's i think the logical response (laughs) at at this point so i i don't i don't blame you but i'm not gonna answer your question
0: no i didn't ask a question because i know you won't answer anything okay okay i posited a theory and you can respond to it as you see fit so but non-response means i'm right that's not fair <laughs> with that we're gonna move into <laughs> i'm right terrible terrifying
1: with that we receive a communique that comes through the jackal broadcasting to all of the ships a it's on delay
0: are you from like the 1940s or
1: something fucking break i was using my thesaurus dude it's just just <laughs> thumbing are you through actually using you know i thesaurus? wasn't because <laughs> i'm a fucking asshole so the jackal <laughs> okay. kills Darrow's uncle, Neryl live mm-hmm. on TV, the hollow, for everyone to see in a complete mm-hmm. show of <clears throat> violence that starts a revolution, which is not unlike one that Darrow might inspire on the ships that he boards. It's a fascinating perspective of what it takes to like lead a revolution, and it's a counter-revolution that the jackal is inspiring among the rising against the golds and it's it's a fascinating mirror into the way that the characters mirror over the course of the series and especially over the course of the last chunk of this book yeah yeah so worst of all of course from the moment here is that Seffi is the one leading the rebellion aboard the ships she the very powerful obsidian of whom wields so much social control over a lot of these low colors is leading this charge
0: so this kind of surprises me. It's not so much surprising that she took up any sort of leadership, but more that the reds actually follow her. And it's not it's not everybody, uh, of course, but um she's she's kind of the leader of the people that are further overcrowding their home of Tinos. Like they there seems to be a lot of hostility towards the obsidians in general. Not necessarily to the same level as towards the golds, but it's interesting that it's not a red taking up the lead here.
1: Yeah, and I think some of that reality comes down to who can who can control the golds, and that's going to be the obsidians. They're the only ones who've ever actually been able to contest until this uprising. And that's a good point. it's arguable that even the Reds themselves without realizing that they are just a tide of people that can run over everything else have pretty much sat still because they're so afraid individually of their one-on-one nature with golds. And that's why I took Darrow being a red, that is a gold to kind of pull him up out of it. But I agree with you. Yeah, it is. It is interesting that they don't lean on a different layer. And I think in some other distant reality, dancer, would be in a similar situation because he actually doesn't like the golds. He doesn't like the idea of golds. He actually thinks he doesn't core think, but he does have opinions that the rising is as much against society as it is against gold of which Mm -hmm. Darrow disagrees with because he understands and he's lived among the golds and he's like, not all golds are bad, especially that Cassius guy. He's really not bad guys. Really not bad. That one. He's good. He's mm-hmm. a good boy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He he's he's good. <laughs> <laughs> you you sound like you believe it. <laughs> uh yeah, I very much very much on on the side of Gold. I love I love Cassius. <laughs> I think he's a good character and I think he deserves to be uh redeemed in this story arc. No, he's not. Terrible fucking human, and he's going to betray you, Darrow.
1: Yeah, I'd love to meet a Cassius, Dan. <laughs> With that, Chapter Fifty Four: <laughs> The Goblin and the Gold. We're king of transitions this week. <laughs> it's so well done. Oh man, we're we are in a panic state where the Golds have been captured and held by Seffi, namely Mustang and Cassius. Cassius, of course, being hung. I find in this moment, Severo. <laughs> oh, muttering Mustang phrase, knows that he's hung. Well that's a different different there pj <laughs> mm-hmm. also it's it's like alluded that like darrow has a really big penis and that means mickey made his penis really big this that's an entirely separate conversation that like gets back to the gold and i expect
0: Wiglis. it to be answered by but, the end of the book well as we stay in a
1: conversation we'll we'll
0: we'll have we got to know the genetic kind of parts we gotta
1: know we gotta know how it works yeah i man there's this whole panic state of course i find in this moment Severo muttering the phrase death begets death begets death begets death again here the second time in the chapter section that we're reading is interesting because Severo seems to have kind of sobered up a bit from being the childlike leader he was earlier on to being this kind of mature person who understands what needs to be done. It's also worth pointing out that death begets death begets death has been said seven times in the series, which is, like, maybe a theme, but... It's not a theme. The theme is cooks.
0: Oh. Can't fuck with that. Oh, fuck. The theme... Right. ...is always cooks, and I will not let you say otherwise.
1: You're right. My bad. My bad. My mm. bad. But, uh, but the other bit about Severo being a good leader now, <laughs> as opposed to a piece of shit. Child.
0: Well, I mean... Child. Does kill himself so, here. oh Tries to. No, kind of. Yeah. I...
1: Man, I really like the line, the barbarian, barbarity of it all chills me. What'd you make of the scene with Steffi and the low colors putting Cassius on trial? Kill that, that bitch. Whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: oh, what are you waiting for? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Why was he left for last? <laughs> well,
1: I mean, with the fireworks, you end with a big bang, right? Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> a nice little gap there.
0: he's the title fight i get Uh it i just want him dead but he doesn't die and then he ruins everything that we want despite all circumstances he doesn't
1: die we've sat here over the course of a 100 pages at least of him being captured and he doesn't die he's still alive i think it ends up being like four months or something like that yeah four months which is nuts we know it took like almost two months for them to travel here. So there's there's a decent period of time where the, the entire
0: war, of course, with Roke's army captured. Yeah, it's still a long fucking time. I would think at least a little bit of Stockholm syndrome would start taking taking hold. You I mean, but it doesn't.
1: I think he was faking <laughs> Stockholm syndrome with Darrow. Of course maybe.
0: he was. Of course he was. Mm. Not even Stockholm. Like, it's not even that. He's just lying. I think what's really
1: interesting here is that Darrow and Mustang are, of course, charging in with Severo having already fucked off, winking in the bushes somewhere. They're they're obviously charging in, and they think that the way that they can convince the Obsidians is through speech. But they've already been exposed to this. They're, like, doubling down on the mistakes that they've already made together with the Obsidians. And, obviously, the Obsidians are the one in control, despite all the other low-colors being there. They think that they can talk them out of the brutality that's about to happen to Cassius. He's hung, and then... Within the middle of that, Severo, as Ares, arrives center stage and gives a magnificent speech talking about murderers and those who do wrong on others. And then also says, oh, hey, I'm a murderer. I should be hung. Hangs himself up. And man, is that I I, honestly, I think that that on reflection, this is one of my favorite moments in the entire. Oh, yeah. It is an incredible moment.
0: It is very good. It it's certainly one of my favorite moments from Sevro. I,
1: I think that it also shows a different depth. It shows a depth where Sevro, without talking with Darrow and Mustang about their experience with the Obsidians on the ice, understands the Obsidian culture because he was such close friends with Ragnar. He he lived with him and fought alongside him for a year and they became buddies. And so he has this understanding of the only way that I'm going to be able to prove this to all of you is by showing physically through action and making you make the choice. What's the right choice? And that's what he poses to Sefi. And I think that that is brilliant. It is. This is maybe my favorite scene in the series upon it, many rereads it's so good
0: it is completely dependent on no one else cutting him down first though mm-hmm. which there were some it, it was close there were some reds that were being like thrown up by other reds to cut him down and the fact that Sephi was the one to cut both of them down was i think almost entirely chance
1: I, I think it was an intentional head nod towards.
0: It, her it was to intentional, and that that was that was Sevro's intention. But if it had taken Seffi thirty more seconds to decide, I think hmm. Sevro would have been cut down anyway, and Cassius would yeah. have died like he should have. And <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's that's fair. And I also think that it's interesting that Darrow's perspective is witnessing the death of one friend to see the rebirth of another is fantastic in that way where severo is given new life but cassius might die for that new life and fascinatingly if we're talking about mirrors inside of this at the end of this severo dies so that cassius can live and regain his spot in society to some degree his honor so Mm. there's there's another mirror point right here that's made between the two of them yeah
0: right it's fucked i will agree with you severo's severo's point
1: I, I love I love Severo's character here, but I think it's also mm-hmm. interesting that even Darrow reflects in this moment of like losing a friend to gain a friend. And in the end, his friend in quotes killed his best friend for what he believed in. Mm-hmm. I also love the final lines that Severo says here, seeming to be only addressing Victra, even though it's kind of commanding it out to the entire room. they are wonderful
0: we are the new age the new world and if we're to show the way then we better damn well make it a better one i am patrick john and i am no longer afraid and then this is where i do the backflip right
1: yeah i think you do a backflip now
0: yeah to show off yep okay yeah then
1: all the girls like swoon
0: yeah yeah that's the plan yeah
1: oh pj you made my heart thump thump like, <laughs> there you a, go. like a drum so good work <laughs> if, you're, if you're calling out to me you're here i am Mm -hmm. yeah no it's it's a fantastic moment and of course (laughs) the the next section is called the ignoble house barco which i think is a brilliant chapter title for the way that this whole thing goes and we find out that victra is so pissed off about all of the brilliance that happens over that chapter that she's like all right i actually do love you i don't want you to die you crazy motherfucker you're such a brilliant genius fuck you and they get married
0: we're nothing we're dating. We're nothing again. We're married. That's basically <laughs> how this entire relationship went over the course yeah. of like a, a month or two. Right. Right. Well, four months probably. Month. Cassius and whatnot. <laughs> but we'll call. We'll give it six months, and that's still ridiculous.
1: Yeah. It's it's fascinating, but I think they also fit each other so well, which is oh, what do. I what I find so great. Super well. about the characteristics and the characters that Pierce has built is. It was clear that Victor was never the successor to Mustang in a relationship way, and to connect her with Severo makes a lot more sense in the way that they both behave.
0: I feel like Darrow would be a much better decision maker if he had Victor in his bed next to him, though. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: gonna hold you to that. We're gonna talk about that. Uh, like I mean, a couple of weeks at
0: least. What's crazy. I'm I will hold myself to that. I absolutely believe that. That's fair.
1: We're moving on here. Chapter 55, as we mentioned, the Ignoble House Barca. We're, We're getting laced moments here of a plan. One that is Mustangs from earlier in chapter 53. The silence talked about very, very at the very beginning that Mickey is executing clearly here throughout. What do you think that plan is? What do you think that moment is buried? Well, Do you think that it's something that we've seen that
0: we haven't seen? I think it's something we haven't seen yet. We know that the doctor's kind of disturbed by the idea, based on like her reactions yeah, Dr. to things. Verine, Verine. So for that reason, I think it's something animal-human hybrid kind of carving thing. Uh, I think it's a wolf centaur. I think the howlers are going to what. I think the howlers are going to suddenly become carved into wolf centaurs.
1: No, we're just gonna. I'm gonna refute that and move on. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't try to like take hard stances on your opinions, but I'm just like,
0: <laughs> what do you no. think that would look like? Though that'd be super <laughs> unbalanced
1: dude it'd be so front heavy it would, it would be a problem <laughs> like you need like a weird back bending spine where like the wolf would come up like, so Mickey much can do that like I can,
0: I believe in Mickey do you not but believe point, in Mickey it'd be like a snake you know
1: like it, it would have like the bend of a, of a snake's back it, it'd be a real problem <laughs> all
0: right so we'll just put the torso in the center of the wolf that doesn't help anything PJ <laughs> it balances it
1: yeah no um Mo- moving on i also really enjoy the backing <laughs> back and forth that happens here comparing the injuries that i have been suffered. that
0: you're able to just move on like that all right i'm here <laughs> thinking about wolf centaurs
1: <laughs> i'm so in charge of this podcast that i don't have a
0: yeah I, we'll see that about can, that like i well i mean you're in
1: charge of the memes so i, I don't well, know man
0: mm, i have not been
1: doing great on that one <laughs> comparing the injuries quit getting caught
0: up on this crossland keep going
1: man i i love the the comparison of injuries as they're like walking down the hallways like blah blah blah, i've been through this and he's like blah 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 i've been through that and darrow's like well i've been carved twice and he's (laughs) like oh always the fucking carving you always gotta bring that up it's
0: it's just it's great this this reminded me of like me and you bickering about things like we just were over the the horse centaur not quite that the
1: wolf centaur sorry but
0: just you know you always play the colorblind card and i never have a follow-up
1: i ultimately win because it's a genetic problem just <laughs> yeah. like darrow wins because it's a genetic
0: i don't problem. think that's a genetic problem
1: <laughs> that Fair was point. a choice darrow's choice he could have said nope okay i thought you're talking about me i was like i don't have a choice that the colorblindness oh what no 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 talking no about?
0: darrow's Dara yeah. wasn't genetically born a carved up gold a red true amalgam. True.
1: It's a it's interesting.
0: The other interesting
1: part of this section is that we find out that Cephi used the opportunity of the riots to pull a coup to gain control of all of the obsidians and call them just
0: the obsidian. I think that was kind of ine- inevitable. Not necessarily that Cephi would be the leader, but that would that that they would sort of consolidate. Yeah, because. They're no longer working towards separate goals and are set. They're they're no longer separate factions. They are the obsidian. They have one goal and it makes sense for them to be unified. Yes. Yeah.
1: I agree with you. Mm
0: -hmm. Ultimately the
1: gain of Cephi unifying them is really just unifying different planets worth of obsidians of which several of the different like war chiefs. She had already rallied under her banner Now she effectively has her color under a larger banner, which is fantastic for her, of course. Yeah. Then we lean into a wedding between Severo and Victra Albarka. She's taking his name instead of keeping her own because her name is tainted. Awful, of course. She wants to reject her name at every turn. So it just makes sense for even in the last moment to, to take that. Severo was actually willing to take her name.
0: And was Until confused then, right? when she like, said otherwise. Yeah, was was very confused. I th- I think that's just a, a
1: great warm moment, especially since we know that Severo's body is a cold corpse later. <laughs> yep, it's like Way the name lives on. But I think that Darrow mentions it. it's a great moment of normalcy here and unity. And I think that it is. I, I think that there's a lot of warmth that comes into the scene. I mentioned it so many times that the. Pierce's storytelling when it comes to these like warm, heartfelt moments really actually brings me back to like Tolkien's moments in the Shire and kind of the way that everything feels like this sort of drunken revelry and shouting and praising and kind of no, no one's bearing down on us. There are no problems. We're all just hanging out, having a good time. And I really get that here in the the wedding section.
0: Yeah, that's a super good call. Yeah, that definitely evokes feelings similar to that of the Shire. I'm on board with you.
1: We, we get a number of conversations here that I don't think are, you know, worthy of breaking down entirely. But it's it's worth mentioning. Victorious conversation with Darrow is wonderful. The The moment where she's wearing heels that are too small for her. From Antonia's closet, pushing Clown to go ask Pebble for a dance and him being too, too shy and maybe also too drunk at the same time, but needing another drink in order to consider doing it. Kavax and Daxo and their side conversations and dances. They're all fantastic moments that kind of happen within the dance. It's just like, man, I wish we could just hold this moment of this wedding still in time so that nothing would change.
0: yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that the book and the series should just end here. You know what? I'm calling it. That's the end of the book. That's the end of the series. We are words and whiskey. Goodbye, folks. I hope you enjoyed the book.
1: Uh, we move into chapter 56. <laughs> Damn In it. time, which is Shit. just a brutal rendition of uh, In the previous chapter. It ends off with Holiday handing off a note That the jackal has a private line open for Darrow. And Jesus, the the jackal is frothing at the mouth this chapter, especially when he confirms that he actually killed Quinn, which ultimately led to Rogue's fall. Yeah, right. So we get confirmation here of those moments. We get confirmation here that it was true. And he literally like thumbed a piece of her skull into her brain and was like, okay, well, if I leave it here, she'll just have brain damage and she'll be drooling. Will Rogue still love her drooling? It's this whole (laughs) Do you think he would God damn fuck him? Probably, yeah, Roke's a softie.
0: Mm, I don't know about it.
1: Roke would have cared for her. Oh yeah, I believe that. (laughs) And we finally, finally in this moment see the gift that Darrow gave. The Jackal back in Golden Sun inside of his box. A question that you asked in the moment that we've had so many conversations about. It's just kind of drifted from our memories. We finally figured it out. He got a scepter that represented him, the Jackal, with the pyramid of the society. Because Darrow was the sword and Jackal was the scepter. Mm-hmm. Reaffirming that relationship. Although at this point, it's far too late. Yeah, it's a little late. <laughs> I you're just a man who thinks a title will make him great is a line that Darrow obviously spits back at the jackal. And I I think that there's actually a deeper truth there that that Pierce is pointing to people chase after that shit, the title all the time, instead of actually doing the work to establish themselves as good person. What good people, good persons. Uh, What I mean by that is that there are a number of people who are like, okay, I can achieve the title of director of sales, if I do really well at my job in sales, there are those people who are like, I can do really well. There are the other folks who are like, okay, if I cut everyone else's ankles so they can't show up to sell things, I am the only option to take the title of director of sales. And you've got kind of like two competing groups, those who can actually achieve and those who steal or figure out the way to achieve beyond... People who actually do things. Does that make sense? This okay. might be just a, a series of rambles.
0: No, that makes total sense. But I, I think I think that gets that makes what I'm about to say even more muddy in that sometimes being a great person is only possible when you have a great title in that it, it increases yeah. reach and it increases sway. It increases power. It Yeah, there, there is having a that title. Power. Yeah. Allows you to be a greater person if that's your prerogative. I
1: I think it comes down to a question of how you earn it or how that title is gained. I don't think it does. I
0: don't think that matters at all. As long as the goal is the same and what you're using the position for is the same, ultimately, to the people being positively affected by the actions of you in that seat of power, it doesn't matter how you hmm. got that seat of power. See, I, I think of
1: it, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think of it as great man versus great title, right? Like Lorne was a great man who earned a great title. Nero was a great man who cheated his way in some ways to a great title. Adrius is definitely a bad man who cheated his way to a great title, but is able to wield that power after retaining that title. I guess the question is, is like what you can do within that title versus... How yeah. you get there, right? And I think I I think I'm thinking about how you get there.
0: I think being having a great title gives you much greater opportunities to gain the sort of title of a great man as well, because because you just have the you have the reach. Whereas I don't know, I could do a lot of great things, but there there'd be very few people who would necessarily historically label me as a great person you get what i'm saying like Uh no
1: i i do it's about scale there's i think there's a balance i think the important perspective that you're pulling into that is the power of the position which Mm -hmm. is especially relevant of course to uh, especially for underrepresented minorities who aren't able to even achieve the title and like achieve a point in the position where they can influence things downward in in an effective way that that all feeds back that makes sense
0: right Absolutely. I
1: think thinking about this section, I agree with more with Adrius than I agree with Mustang Uh, as like Mustang steps into frame and defends Darrow from the perspective of he's earned trust, he's earned family, he's earned all these things. Adrius basically before that had said that you are a lone wolf. You are truly alone because of your pursuits. And that you were fucked. I I think that it's a weird combination of the two. I think that Adrius and Darrow are mirrors. The difference is that Darrow has earned the love and respect of a handful of people, wherein Adrius has only earned the fear. Mm-hmm. And that that's what kind of separates them in these moments. But otherwise, I think they're very core similar. And it's these kind of things that have shaped their their lives, their decisions.
0: And I think if you were to discuss this three or four chapters before the end of Golden Sun, they would be exact mirrors. Yeah. Because Darrow, Darrow was living in fear of anybody knowing his truth. Yeah. So it, it seems like a fairly new development to this book that he actually has people that care about him genuinely. Whereas prior to this book, it's always been he is alone. And he can never tell anybody who he actually is. And he has to put on a face. Any of his friendships feel fake because they are friends with somebody who's not actually him. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, he and the Jackal are identical in in, in the outcomes.
1: Pre-reveal
0: for sure. Exactly.
1: the The final note of the chapter is Mustang condemning him, finally shedding that connection of the family between the two, and the thing that she protected and valued first and foremost. It's it's based on a lot of that the the loss that she's experienced, of course, over the the course of these books, but also things that happened before the books that she was exposed to.
0: Yeah. So the the biggest thing being. God damn it. I asked you about this earlier. Claudius. 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 Claudius is the biggest thing she brings up. I mean, it it feels good to finally have her condemn him out loud, but it it feels late. I I guess they haven't had that much of an opportunity to speak face to face, but it feels kind of late for her to to go through with this condemnation. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: no, it it definitely doesn't. It has a a kind of tainted center feeling to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It adds a. It's I mean, it's good for her to come around to it. And she's had a difficult time distancing herself from family. And that's where it feels like the end of Golden Sun is where she doesn't feel willing to accept Darrow on face value for what's going on because she loves her family. First and foremost, Nero hasn't yet died. So some of that makes sense. But coming coming into this, I mean, it's you know what? You're my only brother. You're a piece of shit. You have killed a bunch of people. You literally murdered Darrow's uncle on stream like no good no bueno goodbye yeah yeah pretty much chapter 57 luna is is set in a very tense sort of scene there there are a couple of things here just to talk about of note the the war above luna is set up to be this very dramatic moment darrow has planted information misinformation to trick the jackal so that there are a number of different fleets that are protecting mars of course we learn at the end that that's not true but in theory here when Darrow arrives, the Ash Lord is here with the scepter armada, and that's it. That's all that Darrow perceives. But boy um, is he wrong. There's an entire envoy that gets sent to him that is that, that comes up and says, Tell the hag. When when they come up, he's like, No, 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 I don't want to talk to you, you're little pawns. Tell the hag we're here for war, not words. And I think that
0: about sums up Darrow's feelings at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the the calling her like calling Octavia, a hag, is fitting, but hilarious. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's it's wonderful, to be honest. It it fits perfectly.
0: And that threat, that threat would be such a cool mic drop moment if it weren't for the fact that this entire thing is a fucking setup. Yeah.
1: If it (laughs) weren't for the fact that like this entire thing is about to blow back in his face. Yeah, exactly. Which is terrible. So we, we literally move from that moment where he's so ready. He's, he's going to go let Cassius go, of course. He's giving him a Corvette out of the situation where he's not going to side with Octavia or The Rising, give him a moment to be this individual who's free of these politics, the last of the real eagles, as we've discussed previously. And, uh, man, I believe the world still need Cassius Albalona. As, no, they kind of the fucking that don't. No, and they don't. Cassius, when let free in front of Antonia, betrays that trust of Darrow's Mustang and poor fucking Severo that all of them had placed in him. He steals Severo's gun and shoots him in the back into the spine first and then seven additional times through the
0: chest. I mean, this is vindication for me. I had been so upset (laughs) with Darrow the entire time that he was entertaining the idea of Cassius, but uh, yeah, poor Severo, poor fucking Severo. Why did he, why was his gun so accessible?
1: Well, I mean, he was so accessible because he wanted to, you know, have it ready so he could defend himself in case something came up or happened in an emergency.
0: So he didn't have it in his fucking hand?
1: Well, he wasn't going to pull it during a non-emergency situation.
0: What, when would the emergency arise? Probably well, right
1: when, when the cell doors are opened, right? Maybe when like Cassius pulled it out of his holster yeah it uh,
0: yeah that is when the emergency arose <laughs> <laughs> good thing Severo had his gun <laughs> it might have been might have been too late huh yeah that's, that's no it, it it is it is tragic and it is it was completely avoidable and i don't feel bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> why well, you don't feel bad about Severo dying
0: i do feel bad about Severo dying but i think it's darrow's fault not cassius's that's which is what I called in in the Deadpool. To be fair, so yeah, you know that's that's true. That's true. Okay, so I'm we move bitter. Into- Crossland, I'm bitter about this. If I, you can't you tell, you
1: should be. You should be fucking bitter about Severus' death. I am yeah. bitter about Severus' death to this day. Yeah. It's such an unfair moment in sort of the book. It feels like it just it was it was telegraphed so well with the wedding and everything else. It's like okay, you're building up emotional stakes for me, aren't you? Here, Pierce. You're, you're, you're like trying to confirm that it might not happen, huh? Huh? Is that what's happening? And then it fucking happens. And you're like, oh, god damn it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs>
1: Fuck. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck, yeah. man. Chapter 58. We move in. Fading light. Severo dies, according to Pierce Brown, literally without a quip, which is. Just so fucking sad for this character. that's I mean, Florida. it's Since hard to speak through
0: eight in the bushes, eight fucking it wasn't his pulse fist, right? No, it was it was his gun. It was his yeah. Gun.
1: Pulse fists are mounted. Okay. Your
0: hand. well, eight, eight shots through the back. <laughs> tough to. Yeah. Tough to kind of speak through. Right. So, you know, understandable there.
1: Man, it's just it's it's unfortunate that he dies just in this moment. So we, we've we got our post mortem here for the character, of course. So what you what do you think of Severo? These are just quick lightning around ish
0: thoughts i thought he was entirely genuine through almost every single interaction with him he was true to himself even when that meant being an outcast for the rest of society or being a fucking warlord for the most oppressed color below him like yeah. he was he was genuine and he was caring for the people that he loved okay
1: i i think that's valid it's a good read. What do you think of his long-term impact? What what might that be? What might it look like?
0: That's where this gets kind of strange for me. I think his long-term impact is much more focused on Daryl and the Howlers and sort of their memories. But I, I don't think they even necessarily make choices based on Severo's legacy. I think I think he'll be be remembered as a genuine caring person i don't think that most of the reds or most of the sons of Ares will really they'll take his death hard but i don't i don't think they'll necessarily take much from it Mm -hmm. other than what darrow can lead with going forward yeah and that that's kind of tough for me to wrestle with in that like in my in my mind Going forward, Severo's legacy is essentially just kind of a mournful memory of Severo himself. God, that's tough. Yeah. And I hope to be proven wrong, but I can't quite see how there's a tangible, lasting imprint on the cause other than just Outside of just memory. What's your favorite moment of Severo? uh, Candy bar. Candy bar with Ragnar. (laughs) It's a great one. It's a good one. Like, (laughs) Just getting tossed down a hallway. It, it was jovial. It was the comeback was fierce, but joking, but not joking, but kind of just I, they they were playing with each other. They were they were brothers, and it, it felt like a very genuine show of who several was when the when the lights weren't on. Fair, fair.
1: Final question. Any other thoughts on
0: uh on Severo. it's your fault darrow oh my god <laughs> never let that go never no. let
1: that go pj that hate should faster
0: oh, i mean yeah it should
1: so post <laughs> Severo, of course dying Sorry. cassius quickly dispatches mustang and darrow without any sort of effort at all he's just able to manage the two of them and freeze antonia stealing away to make his escape with the group trapped within a box and the other two outside He sends a communique with Aja that clears the airspace and grants an audience with the Sovereign. He makes a plea as well for Mustang, his former lover, to not be hurt, to which Aja and the Sovereign agree.
0: Yeah, good luck with that one. Yeah, yeah. Do you you trust Aja or the Sovereign? Well, really just Aja. Like it's only coming from Aja's mouth. Right,
1: right. As it turns out as well, we find out that the Jackal was onto Darrow and sort of trapped for him anyway on the far side of the moon. He knew he was never coming to Mars. And yeah. Darrow effectively was dead in the water twice over.
0: <sighs> so I'm curious as to how, if it's just strictly kind of thinking that, oh no, this seems like a trap or it seems like a bluff. That's a lot of trust to put in like going to the wrong place intentionally. I think... Not necessarily that there's a a mole super close to Darrow, but I think that his fleet is large enough and the crew on each of the ships is large enough that on a select few, maybe some tracking devices have been implemented after the fact. And the Jackal just kind of knows the movement of the Mm -hmm. fleet. Like that doesn't seem outlandish, even if they've been checked for tracking devices when they were initially brought into the fleet what's who's to say there's not sort of an orange that's compromised working for the jackal that's installing tracking beacons yeah wherever i mean of course of course and that's the way that just fits in naturally it's
1: like yeah there's clearly something else here where, where that's been given away either someone inside of the fleet some other kind of microaggression or just the jackal being you know, the mirror of Darrow and figuring it out and understanding what he was going to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's plausible. A-
1: any any of those are plausible, I think. Right. As so. we deduce the solution. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see going forward what... How the book what, ends? No, how, how the jackal knew. Ah. If it was okay. just intuition or if it was actual information that he collected.
1: Fair, fair. Our final chapter of the week is chapter 59, The Lion of Mars. We get a haunting picture of Lilith here right off the bat. And I, I say Lilith because there's Lilith who exists in like demonic fiction, number of other things. I say Lilith because it's the way it's spelt. Um, we kind of question this beforehand, but if anyone has corrections in the way that we're saying things, please let us know. <clears throat> but it's interesting that she's being immediately compared as the Jackal's bro. And I think that just gets back to sort of mirror reflection that exists between these two characters on the whole. They're just different sides of a similar coin throughout this entire story, both willing to resort to whatever it takes
0: to achieve their own ends. What I think it means is that she's going to get shot in the back eight times by Cassius. (laughs) Because Cassius just does that to people. Only to (laughs) Severos. We, we also, <laughs>
1: post that, of course, meet an interesting character, Th- Tharsis, one of the brothers of Tactus, another Valley Wrath, who is another one of the Jackal's Bone Riders. I, I find that very interesting because he also communicates the permission that's given from the Sovereign for the Jackal to cut off Darrow's sword hand. Yep. Did you take
0: anything else from Tharsis
1: that you thought was interesting? Uh, I mean...
0: It's brief. I, did, I really didn't take a whole lot other than... God, I hate the naming of all these fucking Roman-based names. It's so hard to understand. Like, it's not hard to understand, but it's hard to keep everyone straight. That's fair. That's fair. Tharsis is
1: is interesting because I think I I think he's interesting because I think he mirrors a lot of the same language that Tactus has, but obviously he's not the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, as as we heard him talk. There was a lot of act. animosity
0: between Tactus and his siblings, wasn't there? Oh, a ton.
1: Tactus was basically Heavily abused by his siblings and was basically soloed out as like the weakling. He was he was the Julian, but he was treated like a weakling instead of the family, as opposed to Julian, who was beloved within the Bologna family. Yeah. Very, very different worlds, even though they're both golds. Right. Yeah. We haven't talked about our fascination with language in this way in a long time, but the emphasis out of the short phrases on page 462 is just magnificent. Then I hear my enemy, the clicking of his black boots the delicate shift in everyone's mannerisms, the fear as the jackal strides up. It's it's magnificent. It's it's that sort of short, punchy phrases that we've talked about being really effective before.
0: Right here. I just love that Darrow can hear the color of his boots. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're fired. No, I know. I know. No, I, the... it's, but those sort of staccato sentences are mm-hmm. something that I've kind of missed from... Pierce in the last, most of this book, honestly, it's been a little bit absent of that. Pierce doesn't so much stand by the staccato sentence structure so much as Blake
1: Crouch does. Oh, yes, that's right. Pierce paints a very different picture, but I think good fiction can pull you in the direction that it wants to write like a good author can. And I think here he's pulling this out as like a tool in his tool belt where he can like emphasize this here because Mm -hmm. he's using it. And different people pulled that out at different times. You have Blake Crouch uses it as his primary delivery. And so when you get something longer, you understand it's prosaic. It's meant to be big. And versus like Pierce is very big a lot of the time in his language. And when he's short and stark, it's communicating action.
0: It's communicating immediacy moments, yeah, feelings. I think you're right. Yeah. I was just. um For those of you who don't know, Crossland and I recorded two books ourselves without publishing it. And both of them were by blake crouch so true
1: true i man the entire tone of the last two chapters have obviously shifted into fucking grimdark everyone wearing the bone bones of the fallen howlers around them jackal fitchner's fucking rib cage it's it's just like brutal how fucking vile can these characters really be
0: dude it's pretty fucking metal though
1: <laughs> Isn't he that fucking like cool? Images onto the bones. Like, who are oh. You? Oh.
0: I feel like just, we're at a guar show.
1: At least that's comedic.
0: Yeah, that's a true. It's
1: like comedic value in a guar show. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: <like. laughs> if you haven't seen guar live, please go do it. Even if you've never heard of them or heard their music or like their music, the shows it's, are fantastic. Yeah, right. It's It's actually better if you know nothing and you just go. That's that's very true. My first Guar <laughs> show was like that. I think that was uh, nice like that. I think we saw Guar instead of Weezer or something like that. It was something something to that effect. We
1: also get to hear Jackal's kind of mirror speech, which is another example of obviously the mirroring that we've been talking about this whole time. You could literally like Mad Libs Jackal's speech and turn it into a Darrow speech by subbing out the nouns and, <laughs> and everything else. Like it's literally a fucking Mad Lib. I want to do that the now.
0: We probably oh man, could. we probably could. That'd be it really be interesting. Practice. That'd be really, really interesting. Maybe we'll open up next episode of the. Okay, of we that take speech. a bunch of like monologues mm-hmm. and take out the identifying words, make people guess <laughs> who who said it. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: fair. That's a good idea. I don't we know. Can do that on Twitter.
0: Something like that could be
1: fun. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. And then finally, our section ends with, with Darrow's hand being claimed as a trophy of the jackals severed by Cassius's blade, his blade hand, and a chant of sunt Leones," a response chant from the jackal to his 30 troops.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, I didn't quite see it as so much of a chant when I read it. I read it more almost ironic, like sunt Leones." Like Leonis, like it doesn't seem that the Jackal would be super interested in the tradition of that phrase. But to say it ironically in this in this scenario seems perfectly like him.
1: Yeah, it it definitely does fit the kind of the character in the way that that's blended over time. I think it's interesting because obviously here there be lions, here there be dragons in the original context it is something like there there's something lurking there and that's why you don't want to mess with it and obviously the implication of lions with pride it it's it's fascinating where it's like don't fuck with someone's pride Mm -hmm. in that context and he's he's also saying it kind of condemningly back to darrow where it's like you can't fuck with ego you can't beat pride ego and pride will always put you in your place we'll put rightfulness we'll put justice in its place it's yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Or, there are many interpretations there. But I, I agree with you. I think it's interesting. It might be a chant. It could not be. It's an italics, which leads me to believe that it's there's something special about it. But it's not strict in the way that it can be interpreted.
0: Yeah. I think the fact that it says Hicks on Leone is he says instead of he yells or chants yeah. or something more powerful. I don't know. Sure. check out. Yeah. So, And I, um, I feel like... Any of the Latin stuff is always italicized in this yes. series. Yes, yeah. More often than not, you're right.
1: Yeah. Anyway. So with that, we move into PJ's predictions. This week, it's worth noting that we've got some very weak things to talk about. Um, the, the first one is, how much do you hate me right
0: now? <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest, I think this is the right spot to stop. I think, um, I think getting getting a week to sort of reflect on everything that's been happening in this section was needed. Like it it was, it was getting almost exhausting. So I, I am, there's no hatred about where this (laughs) stop was. I think if, if you would have stopped a section earlier, that might've been a little bit too much of a cliffhanger. Fair. Fair. or a chapter earlier, not a section earlier. Yeah. Hmm. Like if you, if you stopped right after the death of Severo. that
1: sort mm, mm. of give you time to linger on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think it's important to move on to uh, the fact that we finished the book next week. What are we looking at next week? Oh God, I think we're seeing,
0: Oh God, I think there's going to be a lot of carnage. There's going to be a lot of death and I think it's going to be completely one-sided. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think most of Darrow's fleet goes down. I think maybe they get a couple good shots off and kill some important people. But I think for the most part, it's going to be a bloodbath and the rain is going to be the, the sons of Ares. Sure. Okay. Who do you think wins? I don't, in what way does Darrow win this? Like I I can't even knowing that he's the, the protagonist of this story, and we're coming to a close. I see no way that he comes out ahead here, even if he survives. Which, honestly, I'm kind of tenuous about at this point. Okay, I don't think right. he wins. Was okay. Darrow in the Deadpool? <laughs> yep. Okay. Did I say he lived or not? You did say he lived. Okay. Well, I'm prepared to be wrong about that one. It was the very last question?
1: Yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> what questions do you
0: want to see answered before the end of the story if any um when did the jackal know or when did the jackal suspect something of Darrow? before he hmm. before he knew I'd like to know when he first suspected something was sure that? but otherwise I feel like things have been tied up pretty well as far as things that are overarching and mysterious He, he doesn't Pierce Brown doesn't seem to kind of leave things hanging like that, which I'm happy about.
1: Yeah, I I definitely concur. Good call. Okay, all right. Reflecting on your Deadpool with 51 pages remaining, do you have any changes? Anything you'd change?
0: I don't think Daryl lives. Okay, Daryl dies. <laughs> Daryl dies. But right. I I will I will maintain my initial Deadpool as far as the the punishments go. Wait 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 wait. So you're I'm officially With... right now st- saying that Darrow is going to die. Ah, but but you're going to maintain the bet of your original. But the Deadpool bet is, is based is that on that my, my original life. Deadpool. Okay. All
1: right. All right. Anything else you want to say before next week? The end of the trilogy.
0: I I hope you guys got to take a little bit of a mental break, <laughs> like I did. <laughs> Cause it's helpful. I'm still yeah. mad. I'm still upset. I think Darrow's a fucking idiot in this entire chapter, entire section. But you know, his bed. He gets to lie in it. Reap what you sow. Reap yeah, there you sow. go. There's the there's the thing. There's Cassius the even fucking said it. Did he actually? Yeah, he did. Yeah, did, he, he did. did. Yeah. That's. Man. I mean. Well, that's well said. (laughs) Well done, buddy. Mm -hmm. So
1: with that, next week, we'll be reading through chapter. We'll be reading chapter 60 through the fucking end of the book. Finish it. Finish it all. We're going to be talking about the the wrap up of this book, kind of reflecting on it and discussing those things. The week following, we will be having. So post the next episode in which we'll be discussing the end of the book including the chapters there in the week following. We'll be discussing the entirety of morning star with a close friend of mine, Kyle Lieberman discussing a number of different things about the book, the series of first comers take to the series combined with PJs. It'll be very fascinating to see the two of them go back and forth to talk about their different experiences with it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, Jumping beyond that, we're very excited for another guest episode that we have after that that we'll talk about at that point. But for next week, we're just going to be reading through the end of the trilogy. So it's an exciting time. What a journey.
0: What a journey. journey. God, I'm excited to read it, but God damn it. God damn it. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) All right. So that is where we are leaving you for the week. Please, as always, continue to listen refer to us to friends that you think might enjoy us review us on whatever podcatchers that support it if you if you feel so inclined our website is words and and our social media accounts are words whiskey at words on both instagram and twitter catch us there hope you all have a great week talk to you later